So what is TacoJS? It's a new monthly event in Philly. Like around the country and the world, there's a few like JavaScript events like WaffleJS or DanceJS. And so uh, Victor, who uh, just graduated high school and is probably the most popular uh, former high schooler uh, in the Philly tech scene, uh, wanted to start TacoJS. And so the first meetup is July 14th. There will be tacos. Where, and JavaScript. Where are they getting tacos from? You know, I think this is still under debate. I was pushing for, fine, like, negotiating with a place in South Philly, like one of the, like, taquerias. I think they're probably just going to go with Chipotle for the first meetup just to keep things a little bit easier since it's a known quantity. Okay. But, yeah, it's, you can, the website is tacojs.rocks. So it's a nice top-level domain. I see that you're looking for a logo. Have you considered just stealing the Takoda? We are looking for a logo. Takoda is a tada and a taco taco in one. So the taco, you know, the tada emoji with the, it's like also a party emoji with the the horn with the confetti coming out of it. How do you spell Takoda? T-A-C-O-D-A. That's what I did, but the Google image shirt shows me like some company acquired by AOL and then also Samoyed for no reason and also men's pants. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. We have it in our Slack at work. Okay, well, you'll need to, to post the, like a link to the image or something. How was everyone's fourth? I actually went to DC this past weekend for the holiday, which was nice. And then I came back to Philly for 4th of July and it was raining, so we watched Independence Day. Good choice. Yeah. The most American of movies. We went to Oklahoma for the weekend to visit some friends. That was fun. They had a pool. Was that your first time in Oklahoma? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, very flat. Not a whole lot of big buildings. We went to a friend's barbecue, played some board games, played some two rooms in a boom, and then we left before the fireworks because we didn't really care about fireworks. What's two rooms in a boom? Uh, it's kind of like resistance, but... Uh, a little more social. It works with like more than 10 people. So everyone has a team and your card shows your team. So it shows a color and it also shows your role. And the red team is trying to find the blue team's president. So you kind of have to walk up to people and like agree to show your color. And then if you want to show more, you can agree to show your, your whole card. What's the max amount? 40. 40. Which sounds ridiculous. I played with a 25-ish and it was actually really good. It'll be good for like a conference thing. Though. Yeah, we played it at Codemash. It was played it for like a few hours. It's a little weird because like you have to arbitrarily divide the rooms, and like some games won't be that interesting. But it's only six minutes. But then some could get really, really interesting. Trying to uh, pull people to to vote your way because there's also neutral people that have their own specific win condition. So you have to like make promises and deals, and it can get pretty fun. Oh, we played, uh, when we were in Oklahoma, we played a card game that Len gave us as a gift uh, about a month ago called Set. Is it Sets or Set? Uh, set. Uh, it's You essentially just stare at cards and notice differences between them. And it was really enjoyable from like an intellectual or just, you know, brain point of view. But I found playing with other people, we just like were all silent staring at the middle of the table. <laughs> Is that your experience too, Len? Yeah, it's a... Uh... I haven't played it that much lately, but yeah. It's also weird because you'll actually get better at it. You'll get better at like seeing those patterns after a while. Yeah. 
And then uh, the person that won is from Len's hometown also. So that was kind of weird. Not my hometown. Don't call him out. Oh, no? Okay, never mind. <laughs> I lived there for a few years. Ann Arbor. Same thing. Mm. There's an article about that. About sets being a Michigan thing? No, no, no. Uh, about the game set. I don't know. It was mathy, so I didn't actually read it. <laughs> but I thought you guys liked mathy stuff, so you might like it. I do like mathy stuff. Speaking of mathy stuff, uh, I'm on another podcast called CS Book Club. It's still and- going. Yeah, well, it it went last year, and we finished a book, and then it hasn't gone for about nine months. But we're starting a new, uh, I guess it's a season, uh, a series. We're going to read Introduction to Graph Theory, and uh, I'm pretty excited. I started reading it on the plane this weekend, and it is fairly interesting. It, it's it's really intriguing how how much it relates to programming without ever mentioning computer programming. The book starts off, well, the second chapter starts off by describing like what sets are. Is it by Douglas B. West? It's by Richard Trudeau, T-R-U-D-E-A-U. If you go to uh, csbookclub.com, it is posted there with uh, links to buy it on Kindle or Amazon. It's pretty cheap on Amazon. I think it's like $4 on Kindle, Kindle I mean. No, e-textbook is six seventy six right now on, on Kindle. There's another introduction to Graph Theory that's $50. Oh, yeah? Well, it's a textbook, actually, so... We're not reading that one. Yeah. It's actually $160. <laughs> Holy shit. So I get interested in this because uh, lots of things in computer science can be modeled as graphs. And um, Terraform, one of HashiCorp's, uh, I guess, flagship tools, is heavily modeled on top of graphs. So I felt like it would be the next computer science topic I would learn. Or I should learn, I should say. Like, do you, do you mean you... So I guess, like... How is graph theory different than understanding the graph data structure? Um, it well, I've only read the uh, the first I guess call it technical chapter. The first chapter is an introduction of what is pure mathematics and why <clears throat> might you have hated math previously, but you won't hate this book. <laughs> and then the second chapter is actually an introduction to sets and graphs. And I've only halfway read that chapter so far. Okay, does seems- this? Does the yeah. book use lambda calculus as the way it expresses things, or does it use a different notation? It uses a different notation, and, and it describes the notation very slowly, too. Or not very slowly, but very explicitly. Like, every time there's a new symbol, it says, like, this is what this is called, and why, and what it means. Nice. Uh, yeah, so it's... it's I, I have very little math background. I did not go to college, and I probably did not do great in high school mathematics. And um, Well, if I you found... don't remember, then you probably didn't... <laughs> yeah, I, uh, and so far it's been, um, uh, I wouldn't say an easy read, but a, a straightforward read for somebody that has a programming background. Like the idea of a set comes very naturally. Um, but looking at the, the chapters in the book, it seems like there are a lot of equations and um, interesting things you can do with graphs to determine properties of them that may be useful in a application design context. Like, what does it mean for a graph to be equal, and and what is isomorphism? And there's some uh, there's some popular I'm blanking on the word uh, math functions <laughs> um, formulas to to essentially like convert graphs from one type to another. I don't know. I just started reading the book, Pam. I don't know. You should listen to the podcast though. I 
Dari say, but I really like the idea of seasons. Like if you all announce that you're starting a new season like ahead of time and so that people could be like, oh, I'm going to get that book and listen to the podcast as it goes along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just uh, we just decided uh, that we can have a go to read the book. And then uh, we just tweeted it this week that we're that we're starting. And I published the um, the website thing. So I, I had a couple of mentions on Twitter saying people that bought the book and they're going to follow the podcast. So it's pretty exciting. And the last book was a really big success. We, we read um, Understanding Computation by Tom Stewart, which is a really great introduction to computer science from the perspective of doing everything in Ruby, which is really awesome for, for me particularly. Um, and we had Tom Stewart on at the end of the season, uh, like an interview, and he was just a really pleasure, pleasure to talk to. I really like the idea of seasons, too. I think I pitched Len on it once or twice. Well, for this podcast? Yeah. We really don't have, like a set set of content though i mean one thing would be though if we wanted to like define dates and have breaks and stuff like that instead of like every week forever (laughs) yeah we take it a few natural breaks yeah i guess around holidays and stuff we Mm -hmm. slow down what was the process for picking the book like how did you pick that book uh, recommend it? I recommended it, and people that are on the podcast uh, this this season were like, "Sure, we'll read that." Um, Clint, who I work with, works on Terraform, so I think that was a natural fit for him. And then uh, Brian and Amy. Uh, Brian, I know, has a math ba- a math background, like a college math background. And I'm not sure about Amy's math background, but both both of them seemed interested as well. I would like to, in the future, have other people pick books and and do the podcast. Like, I don't want to be the host of the podcast in perpetuity it'd even be cool if we could have multiple groups reading um reading different books it'd be a little bit difficult to publish in itunes because you would want them all to be sequential for the same book as far as dates go but they don't have to actually be published the nice thing about a podcast about like a, a book is that it doesn't really need to be dated like we don't we don't publish any dates or say any dates on the episodes because they should be relevant as long as the book is relevant so you could re- record two books or more and then publish them at different times in a row. Yeah, that does sound like seasons. Or you could do the Netflix thing and just publish them all at once. <laughs> so people can binge podcast. Len will binge it on 2X in a few hours. I met somebody who does 3X. It doesn't even make sense. What? Yeah. Are they an alien? Maybe. Actually, I tried, and it just, like, seems to drop to, like, parts of words. Mm-hmm. I had a theory that it wasn't actually native or something, but some apps let you do it, and it's just, like, incomprehensible to me. There should be an app, uh, an app that doesn't actually show you how many X it is. Like, I know, um, is it Overcast that shows the bunnies or something? I don't know. Um, but don't actually show you a value. Just Just have buttons that say, I want it faster or slower, and then keep tuning that until you find the perfect one, and then, like, hit a button that will actually show you the actual value, and it'll be, like, Lens value will be like 2.57x the threshold. I wonder if the bitrate of recording matters. Probably because you should be losing information, not gaining it. Right. So in follow-up, I did not end up spiking React Native for web. So I still don't know anything about it. (laughs) But that's because I got in and startup life, we pivoted. So we started our apps all over again. What is React Native for web? Isn't that just React? We made that joke last time, but uh, (laughs) uh, no. So you basically use React Native 
uh, and then it actually uses the same components. And so the components in React Native are like view and text instead of, you know, div and span. Uh, but it'll actually just take those and transform those to HTML. So you can, especially if you're going mobile first, you can build your app like kind of focusing for iOS, but then actually output HTML for a mobile version of the website. But we're starting from scratch. So I also uh, suggested we use Ignite, which is a pretty cool starter kit. It has a lot of uh, things that you want, things that because it's JavaScript are normally not that easy to set up, like test runners and there's actually a, like a lot of Redux tools to make writing your reducers easier and um, stuff for syncing your React, your Redux stores uh, offline and then syncing later. So it kind of has all this built in. But I decided to like React Native new this app on the day that the, a new version of React Native was released. So nothing actually works. Do you see that in a lot of other projects, Pam? Or is it just React because there's not like... See what? One set of like, well, I mean, em Ember, like everything's kind of packaged together. And I think same with Angular, but like a new version of React drops and basically everything just kind of tends to crumble. I don't know. Is that what your experience has been with React? That was my experience yesterday. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely the case with Angular too. Oh, really? Yeah, I was working on a project and I tried to upgrade and it was in it was using an alpha version to be fair. So it was using an alpha version. I tried to update it to a later alpha and, or maybe a beta version. And it just like it would not stand up. So I just left it at the current version that it was at. Starting a project is the hardest part. <laughs> Once you get all your like uh, JSON config crap set up, it's smooth sailing from there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm actually writing mostly just straight Node and Express right now, which is pretty pleasant because it's just, it's pretty much just JavaScript with some Node things, like not having to work in a framework. Are you doing ES6? Yeah, but I mean, like, I'm not using a transpiler. <laughs> like, I'm using arrow functions because they're supported in Node. <laughs> So, oh, you're not using a transpiler. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I don't need one. Like, I'm just running it on the server. So I only have to care about one environment. Huh. It's refreshing. <laughs> have you seen React Play.org? Or is RN.play.org? Oh, like the playground? A, yeah. It's pretty cool. You can basically write JavaScript in your browser and try it out on a simulator. Len, did you Rails new with Rails 5? Um, I'm not touching the Rails part, but yes. yes. We were, our old app was on Rails 5. Oh, wow. The beta? Yep, cool. alpha before that. Oh. I am a Rails skeptic at this point. I was bummed that we did Rails new and not Phoenix new or oh, anything yeah. else new. Why not? It's a good question. I mean, I think it's we're all relatively new to mobile apps, so why have another new thing what do you call that uh, innovation token or something yeah oh yeah <laughs> but yeah i would want to do phoenix you could just make a phoenix api and then write your apps in native you know android slash ios i mean yeah our react is not touching rails we did rails new dash dash api actually oh do you have mobile developers on your team nope i guess it makes sense to use react native then if everybody's a javascript developer yeah i think that's part of the promise of react native 
JavaScript everywhere. <laughs> I mean, we we thought about going native, but we do on both Android and React, so we don't want to literally write it twice. Javon, how has your uh, Phoenix experience been? Do you use Phoenix or just Elixir? We use Phoenix. Uh, the last, the first app was just an API, and this one is more of a full web app. It's been good. There was a fear of not having a lot of libraries to help out, but there's enough. Right now, we're sort of struggling with uh, authentication and authorization stuff. We're using this library called Guardian, which is pretty good, but it's sort of opinionated. So it's been good. This morning, someone, this morning or last night, someone tweeted that uh, authentication Elixir is not great, so they're rebuilding device for Elixir. Or Phoenix. I guess Elixir and Phoenix. I thought, maybe it wasn't Guardian, but I thought there was some other library for Elixir that, or for Phoenix that was attempting to do things in a non-device. Like, to replace device for Phoenix, but not not copy it wholesale. I mean, device is just a user system, right? Yeah, it, it does a lot of things for you. It provides, like, forms and encryption. Well, Gar- and, yeah. Guardian seems to be the most popular, and it is doing things differently. Because it uses the, the Jot uh, tokens, which is pretty cool. So you're just passing a JSON web token around. So it might be that one. There's also uh, xAdmin, which is uh, like active admin for Elixir. install this week. I was like, no, please don't. Do you, do you know anyone using Phoenix, Justin? Me? No, I'm in my own Ruby and Go bubble at HashiCorp. The Philly Elixir meetup seems active the past month or two. Uh, kind of bummed that I that I missed the uh, first few meetings, but I would like to go to that. I went to the first one. I gave a lightning talk on sort of interactive development with Elixir, so stuff like Alchemist and the debugger and the profiler. It was, it was good. Um, I'm hoping for more advanced topics pretty soon. Do you use Action Cable yet for anything, or do you plan to? Oh, we're not on Rails 5 yet. And no, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, maybe. I don't know. I, it's, Can you pull yeah. in Action Cable by itself? I don't know. I mean, we, we would probably upgrade to Rails 5 at some point. Um, yeah. We actually use polling for everything right now, and it works fine. Hmm. <laughs> it keeps uh, it keeps a lot of things simple, and it's we've never had any like 
issues or complaints with the UI being being slow. We we choose um, sensible interview intervals depending on the the context, like how how often something changes, and uh, yeah, it all works. It all works fine. So literally, like set timeout in your JavaScript framework. I don't I don't know exactly. I don't do a lot with the JavaScript, but but yes, like every if you're on a page in a certain Ember app or looking at a model, I guess every three seconds or or one second or ten seconds, it will just refresh that model from from the server. And then we do we do caching, so in most cases, it just returns you know three or four not modified. Is that what three or four? Yeah. Um, it just returns not modified, and then there's no real, real cost except for I guess the round trip of the request. But most of our users are on fairly fast connections. Yeah, I'm just wondering who's using Action Cable because I was trying to use it uh, outside of Rails, and it was not easy. There is one like ES6 Action Cable library, which was like the JavaScript from. Action Cable pulled out of CoffeeScript and the Asset Pipeline. <laughs> but then they set they gave you no way to set headers. So I still have an open pull request and I was like using my fork because <laughs> just all the examples people used it in, it was just like, oh, here's some stuff coming over the wire, but you couldn't actually set a cookie with your like authentication token or anything. Or like so kind of important. Or like cores. <laughs> yeah. I just cared about authentication, though. But the folks have to be using Action Cable, right? Basecamp does. It's my Besides Basecamp, <laughs> that's all that matters, Jaron. Yeah. But specifically outside of Rails, but I mean, I guess Rails just launched this week, right? Rails five Rails officially, five. even though, yeah. Pam won't use Action Cable because it's not serverless. <laughs> aren't you just like aren't you all talking about some rails thing or something <laughs> like it has the word action in it so yes yes for sure like i won't use it because it's a rails thing that's why it's a good rule of thumb <laughs> one word turbo links <laughs> oh my, can you action cable your turbo links oh yes you definitely can They're yeah to be Oh, yeah. Just link them together, and then everything just comes down the cable, and you turbo link it. Yeah. Replace the (laughs) frame. It's basically like React. Our very very first first iteration of this app before we ditched it was TurboLinks. And it was a chat app, and it almost kind of worked. So the fact that it almost worked for a chat app, I think it actually might not be the worst thing if you're building Basecamp. No, we used Action Cable to get new messages. But then when you posted, it was all like turbo links. It was gross. I wouldn't recommend using it for a chat app. <laughs> no, we're we're pretty comfortable uh, writing services in Go and putting them on the internet. So I had to think that if we wanted to do push to the user's browser, we would just write a WebSocket service in Go. And then has some kind of like callbacks in Rails to to update those pushes. But yeah, Rails, we just use polling. Rails has six hundred and twenty-six pull requests open. Should triage them. 
Do you think someone's gonna triage all of those things? Somebody has to, right? I guess. That's a lot. Well, it is rails, so. We ready to do picks? I have to move some cats around. <laughs> I have to go hurt. hurt. That sounds even the best life. Cat herder. No, it's it's gonna suck because both cats don't want to be picked up, so I'm probably gonna get scratched. You need some gloves. I have gloves. Ooh, I have all kinds of like thick gloves for for barbecue and for they're actually welding gloves. But me, I'll use those. Good idea, Pam. Thank Dude, you. seriously, it'll be super dorky, but you know what is better than it? being scratched? So <laughs> for sure. Do you want to go first? Uh, yes, I am going to pick uh, two apps that I've been using a lot to write. Um, I guess they're RFCs or like documentation for the future. Uh, I've been using IA Writer. I love typing in Vim, especially Markdown, but it's still a little too noisy. And then when I'm on my, my large, um, I have a 27-inch Apple display, and I don't like how Vim is not centered on the screen. And, and IA Writer just has a lot of nice things. So I, IA Writer is a Markdown editor that when you put it full screen, you literally can see nothing except for what you're typing on the screen. Uh, so it's really great for, for focus. And it has some other nice things like built in like word count and it has a typewriter mode that kind of follows your cursor and it has a focus mode, which I don't use, but the focus mode will make every line that you're not currently on dim. So you're only thinking about the current sentence. Uh, that's a little extreme for me. Also too extreme for me is a syntax highlighter for text. So it'll like, it'll highlight nouns and verbs and adverbs and other parts of speech and I don't know why you'd want to use that maybe there's a good reason if you're a writer I'm just trying to jot some ideas down uh, and I've also been using balsamic mockups b-a-l-s-a-m-i-q uh, there Those is are, they're cool yeah there there's a 30-day free trial I have the downloaded app um, I think it's $90 to buy it yeah, uh, they, also have, they also have a website, which I think is subscription-based. But anyway, it's really nice for making purposely lo-fi mock-ups of what a UI should look like. And it's also just good, even if you're not going to like show it to somebody else, I found it really helpful for uh, thinking through a problem. Like, how do we display this information? How does the user interact with it? You can make multiple, um, multiple mock-ups and link them together. So you can like click them like they're actual links on a page, and they'll, they'll work. Uh, or an interface. You can also make alternates, so you can model your current UI and then make an alternate for a certain screen and swap it out at any time. And it has like a lot of nice features. They have a pretty large icon set and all these different um, like HTML and iOS and other elements. Uh, so yeah, Balsonic mockups and IA Writer for for planning. Popcorn, Pam. Uh, so I'm going to pick, there was this interesting article called The Languages Which Almost Were CSS. Um, so it's a historical article or an article covering the history of the languages that might have been CSS and when CSS actually, you know, was adopted in the end, including one that uh, looks like a lisp. So pretty interesting. It's a good article. Jervon. Alright. <clears throat> uh, programming pick is a GitHub repo called Awesome Elixir. It just has a bunch of tools. Uh, 
written in Elixir that you can take a look at to uh, check out the code or use it as a library. And then my music pick is a song called Yuna, I think. I heard it yesterday. It's a little R&B, slow, with Usher. Those are my picks. So my pick is an app at uh, Continuous Code for iPad. Uh, it's actually a pretty impressive editor slash, like, basically like Swift Playgrounds, but for .NET stuff. Uh, it all does C-sharp, which I don't really care about, but it also does F-sharp, which should be kind of fun to play with since I have nothing else to, like, hack on when I'm just carrying my iPad around. Um, so fun little app. Really impressive that they have this working on an iPad. So, last, good. Last week you picked another code-on-the-go thing, too. Are you just coding everywhere you go? What are you talking What pick? Last week you picked an app that you can... Like, do code challenges. Oh, Never yeah. mind. <laughs> it wasn't really... that uh, Inky doesn't really let you code. It just lets you... Like, it's basically multiple choice. Okay. Like, a little lesson in question. But you are practicing everywhere On you go. go. Yeah. My, uh, my weekend thing is to take my iPad to the park and take my dog along and just like kind of plop down and and just read and hang out for a couple hours and my dog just loves to like smell the air and stare stare at rabbits in the bushes it's like tv for him so on that note such a seattle person <laughs> follow us on twitter at turing cool show notes are at turing.cool and i'll talk to y'all later thanks see you bye, bye.